Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we're with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And I am Matt Till, now in the urban sprawl of South Florida. Hey, guys. Welcome to the urban sprawl. (laughs) Go from sprawl to sprawl. Yes, that's right. Suburban to urban. And much warmer weather. (laughs) Welcome to the swampy south. Yeah. Oh, swampy. Yeah, that's true, actually. And the beach. And the beach. Yes, definitely the beach. Enjoying How that as a family. Uh, we are seven miles from the beach. Oh, gosh. That's so, great. Yeah. Sure. Why so, not? Depending upon traffic and lights, 15, 20 minutes. God bless you. Can't wait to visit. Yeah. Come on down or over, I guess. I guess it's over yeah. and a little down for you. It's, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. But this is, guys, I don't know if you know this. This is our hundredth episode, according oh. to the tally. Wow! Episode one zero zero one hundred. We've done a hundred episodes already. It's amazing. It's is it or is it amazing? I don't know. Is that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is an accomplishment. Well done. Congratulations, guys. We've done it. Hundred episodes. This is it. We're uh, done. Can we retire now? Call it in. Uh, to you, our listener, if you have suffered with us this whole time. Suffering Thank is an appropriate you. word. Yeah. Truthfully, uh, we are um, in awe that you actually decided to give any any of your time to spend with us. And now maybe a hundred episodes worth uh, of time. That's I can't nuts. imagine anyone doing that, listening to us a hundred times. <laughs> this is crazy. Oh, this is exciting, guys. A hundred episodes. Did anybody make a cake? Uh, oh, I no. yeah, that would have been something. We should have done. It would cake. have been great for uh, audio. Yeah, <laughs> here's our cake, guys. Yeah, isn't here's it pretty? Our cake. We should have done cakes or something. Sent each other. Uh, I don't know, a cake or something. I don't know. All right. Well, that's our job for today. Is go find uh, a cake or a cookie or something to to, to celebrate. To celebrate. Yeah. Right. There we yeah. go. Okay. So for cool. episode 100, what are we talking about today? Yeah. Good question. Well, well, I, I, think, I think, think we have a hot topic, don't we, Matt? Yeah, we do. So um, we are uh, today uh, for this particular episode, we've been in the series of going through, you know, after evangelicalism, what, right? And so we've been kind of exploring, like, what's the future of evangelicalism? What's the future of the church and church planting start to look like? Um, uh, here, especially in the West. And as it kind of has that global lens to it as well, too, as we think about um, uh, the entire world and God's kingdom and what he wants to do through us as uh, his servants and as those who are ministering um, as ministers of the word um, and uh, living on mission. And so one of the things we've been discussing about off mic a little bit in, um, in our private conversations is this concept of you know, how do we understand the world around us and how do we view that world and um, the, the notion of the biblical worldview in contrast to potentially other worldviews. And, you know, it's interesting, guys, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel that and maybe it's just because of some of the things that I've been reading lately. But I remember, you know, as I kind of, you know, was growing up into the evangelical faith, everything was about biblical worldview. It's like if you either either have you either look through the 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 world through the lens of of a literal scripture, um, literalistic scripture approach, and that was the 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 lens, the glasses, the optics, if you will, that you were to view the world through exclusively from and everything that came from the pulpit and the books you were reading from the bookstore, um, they were all had that lens to it to help you to see the world through 
the optics of scripture exclusively. And so it kind of got packaged in this idea of a biblical worldview. But I feel like over the years, that has been shifting over time. And uh, some of that might be based on some of the things that I'm reading. Um, but I feel like there's a little less emphasis on biblical worldview. But then maybe now recently, I've been starting to see a resurgence of that, trying to like poke its, its head back up again. What, what are you sensing in that? And, and is the notion of a biblical worldview uh, the appropriate way for us to be thinking about the world? Should we, are there other worldviews that we should be considering or, or be thinking about? And, and do, do other people um, necessarily subscribe to the idea of, of a biblical worldview? Certainly people who are non-believers won't necessarily view the world that way, but well, how do we start to frame this? And, and is this the place that we need to be doubling down on potentially is have we lost, have we lost the biblical worldview? I think is probably the biggest question that people are asking about. Michael, lead us off. Uh, well, you know, you know what I think here about this. Um, I, I don't think a biblical worldview exists. I don't think a Christian worldview exists either. Um, I think when we begin to frame it in those ways, it, it indicates that we don't really have a good understanding of what a worldview is and how different aspects of our world impact that view. And for us to come to the conclusion that there is something that's called a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview misunderstands, uh, especially how culture and ethnicity even impacts our understanding of Christianity and the Bible. And so wait, for wait, us, can you, can you, yeah. can you unpack that a little bit? Like, I, I think that's actually very, very vital for this conversation. What do you mean to say that our culture and some of the, our ethnicity impact um, I, I want to say how we show up in the world, but like who we are. I think that needs to be unpacked before we continue to have this conversation. Sure, sure. Well, let me let's start with defining worldview. I mean, many people have defined it over the years. Uh, the classic definitions, like that of Clifford Geertz, who was an anthropologist, says that uh, this is the way that people picture life. Um, uh, th that uh, it's it, it's composed of our nature, our self, our society, and so on. Uh, Paul Hebert, who I studied with uh, during my doctoral studies, defines it as the most fundamental and encompassing views of reality shared by a people and a culture. Um, and and so many people will have similar definitions of what worldview is. And when we look at those, they in some way can be explained by uh, the, uh, groups of people in within a particular boundary, if you will. Sometimes that's geopolitical. Sometimes it's ethnic. But uh, there are groups that form their sense of of identity based on what it is that they believe. Um, it, you know, whatever that belief system is, if it's monotheistic or, or pantheistic, or if it's animistic or or whatever. Uh, it also is impacted by our ethnicity, um, who we are as a, a, an ethnic people, or in in uh, some cases or in other cases, affected by our race. And that's a whole different discussion to distinguish between ethnicity and race. But there there are some similarities, but certainly differences. Um, but that impacts our view of the world. And then, of course, our culture impacts our view of the world, um, different aspects of our culture, the way we were raised, where we were raised. Um, if we were raised in the Midwest or the South or the Northeast, uh, that those cultures are very different and they will impact the way in which we view the world around us. And, and so all of those um, religion or beliefs, ethnicity and race and culture all come together to form what we would say uh, is a worldview. Um, another so, way to, Michael, yeah. is another way to say that potentially just like the baseline presuppositions, um, like our fundamentalist, like I'm using the word fundamentalist, but I, I guess our fundamental view and understanding of how the world functions what we presuppose as to how the world already exists. Um, those are, and you're, you're describing all of the things that shape that to form or construct this idea that is called a worldview. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And so here's an example of that uh, among a religious group called the Druids. You all remember that I did my doctoral research on this group, and uh, I was very interested to understand what their worldview was. And, and to get to that, I was asking questions about what it was that they believed and learned that in many, well, in all cases, they're animistic. Sometimes they're polytheistic. Uh, many times they're monolatristic, meaning that there is the worship of one God, but the recognition of many gods. Um, they venerate nature and death. When it comes to death, there were multiple views of reincarnation or extin extinction or even transmigration. So there wasn't a clear even uh, monolithic understanding of what happened after death. Ethnically, there was a desire to be connected to their ancestors uh, in some way. There wasn't a clear ethnic line, nor was there a clear racial line, but certainly a desire to be connected to what they believed to be their, their ancient past. And then culturally, I mean, they were extremely educated, um, interestingly enough, they came from uh, predominantly Christian families. They were typically, in, in the case of the United States, very patriotic and politically liberal. So all of those impact the way in which they would view the world around them and what was, what was going on. And so it's that kind of deep understanding of a culture that we need to get at uh, when we're trying to think about, well, how do we engage the people around us. Um, what is it, it? We need to know what is it that they believe. Uh, how is it that they enact those beliefs, and and so on, um, and how those things are impacted by either their race or their culture or you know whatever religious expression that they have. I think Michael, what you just were talking about, it strikes me that when we talk about worldview. And maybe this is also, Matt, as you were talking about, just kind of how we were raised, right? And that, that evangelical lens that we viewed everything through. I thought that ascertaining a biblical worldview or a worldview in general, like it was something that could exist. We could, we could talk about worldview um, pretty easily. Like, because there were so many people that shared our worldview. But as Michael's talking about this, I'm laughing a little bit because it seems like the number of people that might even share your worldview shrinks really fast because they might come from a highly different cultural experience or a highly different racial understanding in their, in their uh, upbringing. And then you add the political element and then the, the, philosophical leanings and Michael, you're bringing up all these things of belief in God, belief in death, belief in like, I'm the, the longer you kept talking, I'm just watching that little group that you would say collectively shares your worldview, just keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it seems that, I mean, I have felt uh, this past few years looking around, uh, there are people that I thought, Oh, we had the same worldview. And then certain issues come up and they would react vehemently uh, against what I thought was normal or right. And I thought, but I thought, I thought we, I thought we were on the same team, right? I, I thought we, I thought we shared that worldview. And now I'm saying like, Oh, I think I'm the one who's screwing this up. Right. Like, and I, and I mean to say that the way I saw the world, my worldview was the standard. That was the norm. Mm. And when talking to other people, in a way, I was trying to get them to understand my worldview, but I wasn't understanding their worldview. Um, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's natural for us to think that uh, our worldview is correct. I mean, that's how we make sense out of life. And without it, uh, it's difficult to make sense out of the things that are going on around us. And so it's, it's natural that we would think that we have the right worldview. And when you throw that into the mix of uh, Christianity, then, then uh, your view of not only the world, but of Christianity is the right view. And, uh, and, and it's very difficult to say otherwise uh, to, to somebody, somebody that holds uh, those worldviews. 
You know, and I think too, what, what is, you know, Andrew, you bring up a really good point here. And I think this is something that I've been wrestling with myself is um, as we just try to walk through into this world that feels polarized at times. And even when you, just like you said, like, man, I thought we were on the same team here. I thought we kind of had this same vision or, or concept of the world, right. Or a view of fundamental understanding of how the world works. And then you all of a sudden get into some nuance and suddenly you realize, oh, we're on different pages here. Um, I wonder if there's a difference between worldview and ideology that kind of comes into play here, that maybe that there are different um, objects or aims, um, agendas, uh, uh, loyalties that are underneath this maybe generalized concept of cultural experience, um, ethnic experience, um, and, and upbringing that maybe is shared, maybe isn't shared. Um, amongst your neighbors and those who maybe you do community with together, but you realize that underneath it, like you may have this this shared experience, but beyond that or below that are these other ideologies that are kind of thwarting potentially a commonality where we can find some sort of unity. What what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I would agree. I, I, Ideology certainly is a part of worldview, and I would put it in the category of religion and beliefs that uh, there are, you know, particular ideological uh, uh, beliefs, if you will, or or presuppositions do impact the way we view the world. But it's one of uh, of those three things that will impact the way we view our world uh, that include the, our culture and our ethnicity. You know, we could we could share a similar ideology um, and yet come from different cultural backgrounds and have a somewhat different worldview of how that ideology has worked out. And so if you were to think, for example, of Christianity as an ideology or evangelicalism as an ideology, uh, the way in which evangelicals live out their evangelicalness is different uh, depending on their race uh, or ethnicity, depending on where they grew up. Um, you know, I I uh, came to Christ in the South in Texas. It, it, Texas isn't really the South. Texas is an animal in and of itself. Um, Texas and so there is was a, its own beast. Houston yeah. is different than Dallas. Dallas is different than San Antonio. Don't get us confused with each other. Please carry on. <laughs> and so I, I grew up with a particular view of Christianity that uh, once I left the state of Texas, and particularly when I moved into a different culture and uh, began to learn that in that culture, there are even more different views of Christianity, um, did I realize the complexity really of worldview and how beliefs and culture and uh, ethnicity impact those views. I'm just thinking here. Um, so if we're if we're talking about the complexity of ideologies that are multiplied, that make up the complexity, that I guess even further uh, make it difficult to even have a similar worldview, then. Matt, Matt opened by talking about this idea of a biblical worldview, right? Like it's supposed to be this unifying call um, that we're all supposed to rally around. And I may or may not have gone to Trinity at the time where they were talking about this Christian worldview, this biblical worldview. Like this was, I mean, this was in their uh, all print, all their printed material. The right? worldview. To end and rule all worldviews. That's right. That how it was like, presented? <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't look like that on the printed material, but it was close. Uh, it sounded a whole lot churchier, so it was better. Um, so churchy, not churchier, churchy. Uh, so anyway, so, so Michael, when you kind of at the idea of having a biblical worldview, um, what, I don't want to say, what are you presenting can we can we have a conversation on why that first idea of having a biblical a common biblical worldview is ridiculous and then can we have a conversation about what what what's our other option right yeah. what, what's a what's a different viewpoint 
Yeah, well, it, it's it's ridiculous in the sense that we as human beings end up mucking up that worldview um, by by our differences, uh, our cultural, ethnic differences uh, tend to color the way in which we will understand what it is that we believe. And um, and so that's that's the real issue here. So then the question becomes, whose Christianity are we going to use as the foundation for our worldview? Is it going to be my version of Christianity, my American uh, evangelical view of Christianity? Or is it going to be a Coptic uh, Egyptian uh, view of Christianity or a Roman Catholic view of Christianity? So whose Christianity actually are we going to use to insert here uh, any type of suggestion of a of a overarching uh, grand uh, Christian worldview, and that's, I think our uh, listeners would probably even notice, like when we on uh, episode ninety nine. Please go and give it a listen if you haven't already. I mean, we had uh, Father Matt on with us, right? And and you probably heard there was a uh, we were absolutely on Team Jesus, right? All four of us talking. We're solely bent on growing in Christ, but our understanding about how that looks in the world is different. Mm -hmm. And and so that understanding of whose uh, who's understanding of Jesus, whose understanding of Christianity, who, who gets to be top dog that we all file under, you know, that, oh my goodness, there's yeah. just, it's so complex. It is. And and in fact, Andrew, that's the wrong uh, posture for us to take. Uh, but we do take it because we're human beings. We tend to say that, well, my my understanding of Christianity is the right understanding of Christianity. And, uh, and then we tend to impose that on others rather than taking a posture and saying, you know what? Christianity is broad. There, there are many different expressions, even among evangelicals, uh, that are expressing something of Jesus in the way in which they're living in their culture, in the way in which their background, their ethnic or racial background is impacting their view of Jesus. And that is something that we should be celebrating together rather than trying to identify something and, and reify it, that is to lift it up on such a high pedestal that nobody can touch it. Um, so I think it's it's a matter of our posture as Christians to say, you know what, let's let's listen and learn from the collective body of Christ, which is so diverse and so rich in in every way, uh, culturally, uh, ethnically, as well as uh, religiously. You know, Michael, I think what you're bringing up is, in fact, a, a really good point for us to hear, because this is part of that conversation of worldview and ideology. I think that the two things get blended together too much and we forget to separate them out. And what you're describing are the different brands or visions or versions of Christianity actually end up becoming simple ideologies. And ideologies usually don't have enough weight to maintain and hold and cross cultural expression, um, ethnic expression. They, they, they have weak points, right? So we have to be able to figure out a way to bridge these gaps together. And it also probably helps explain some of the polarization that we see taking place in our churches today, whereas Christianity, especially Western evangelicalism, has become such a ideology of its own, that it actually became merged with at times political movements. And so when politics get caught up, get caught up in there because political movements are ideologies of their own. So all of a sudden you kind of have this melding effect. And so people can't distinguish the difference between, well, I read the Bible and I read the Bible, and this is the, this is my stance on abortion. This is my stance on abortion. And the two are like, but why aren't we reading the same text? And now we can't even have a conversation. We forgot that it's like, well, I have a biblical worldview and I have a biblical worldview. So who's right? So now instead we, we can identify and simply say, well, listen, you're not talking the same language because you're looking at two different ideologies. Your ideology is failing you um, because you can't seem to rise above it and be able to see a greater perspective or a, a more perfect and holistic worldview, I think is what you're trying to lead us down. 
But now the question, of course, begs to answer is that, are we advocating for universalism here? Because I think this conversation can get kind of at that point of going, well, then if, if, if all, if, if it's all welcome, if it's all accepted, if it's all here, you know, like, you know, if, if we're going to embrace it all, then, then what is there to, to distinguish, you know what I mean? So I could, I could see somebody listening right now going, is Michael advocating for universalism? And, uh, you know, well, I mean, that's, if somebody is saying that, then they didn't listen to episode 99, right? Because <laughs> we, we talked all about what unites us. And I think this conversation that you're bringing up on my favorite ideology is that we have made my favorite ideology the top thing. That becomes the gate or the barrier that we say you are either with me or against me. And when we talked about what unites us, it's the things that all believers have believed across all time and everywhere. And so if if we raise that bar, or is that lower the bar? I'm not really sure. I think let's just agree on the bar. Let's agree on the bar. And then we say, okay, these are the things that unite us. This is what we should be about. And so then when we start talking about things that might uh, disagree contextually, uh, culturally, those are things that might differ from area to area, but they don't differ because the Bible changes or truth changes based on where you are. But we're saying, okay, this topic here is not worth the fight. We might disagree on it, but we're still united on all of the common things and so let's work on the common things. Let us not get lost. Let us not spend energy. Let us not fight over some of these ideological differences. I, I know, you know, when um, back when I did a lot of food service uh, as a server, you know, when you got too many tables all at once and you got sat like three tables and you had to get everybody their drinks at the same time and you had to get everybody their food at the same time. Usually you would see that server running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Uh, the phrase is, oh, they're in the weeds. Like they're in the weeds. They can't see above the weeds because all they can see is the thing that has to get done right now immediately in front of them. And I feel that we as believers get in the weeds on the wrong things. <laughs> We are getting lost on fighting on some of the smaller things as opposed to getting above the weeds and being able to see what unites us and then how do we move forward in Christ's mission. Let's spend our energy there, right? Let's spend our let's spend our capital there. Hmm. And let's not waste our time on something that is far less. Michael, yeah. Matt, you're both nodding. So one of you take it over. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Andrew. And again, I think that starting place is that place where we can find unity. And in the early church, as we suggested uh, in our discussion of what unites us, in the early church, it was a, an agreement on who God is. And if we can agree on that and then begin to unpack that together, and this is the key is to do it together, not in isolation from one, one another, and not even not even in our own little enclaves of, of those that we always agree with, um, we need to broaden that. Uh, you know, there's a whole what uh, is sometimes referred to as a hermeneutical community, a whole community of interpreters of Scripture that uh, that we can benefit from and we should benefit from as we are thinking through, you know, what does this look like uh, where we are and, and what does it look like for what it is that, that I believe? And uh, we really suffer. I think when we become so siloed within our own uh, groups, within our own people, our own tribes, if you will, um, it, we, we suffer as a body of Christ in not uh, being able to benefit from the richness of the diversity uh, in that body. You know, I'm reminded of uh, James K.A. Smith. He writes about... Um, this uh, the book called "You Are What You Love." He's got a series on on the kingdom, and uh, he's a philosopher and um, modern day um, a Michigander, nonetheless. Yeah, and one from Michigan. That's right. Um, you know, he writes about this um, Aristotle's idea of telos, 
and telos being the ultimate object or aim, right, of your argument, of your conversation, um, of of your communication, but also how you as a person function. What are you ultimately after? James um, in his book uh, writes uh, like basically kind of boils it down to what's your ultimate loyalty. What are you ultimately loyal to um, yourself, um, to God, to, to something else, right? And that's what's going to ultimately uh, lead your heart. Um, so he he kind of reconstructs this idea of like, we're not thinking things on sticks, right? We so often just kind of target the head and assuming that's going to dictate the heart. But at the end of the day, the heart already kind of knows what it wants. And so the heart is what tends to lead forth. And it's like what, what your heart most desires is what you're going to be going after at the end of the day. Um, even when it's intellectually like disconnected, it's illogical. Um, we just make illogical decisions all day long, um, you know, because ultimately our heart wants it, you know, uh, for example, just think about a simple, like, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. I love sugar. You know, we could, there's chemical reasons for maybe why, you know, once you start having sugar, you have more of it. The same would be with my coffee, my caffeine. Right. And so the more I drink, the more I want it, but it's, you know, this ultimate aim, this ultimate telos and that every human heart is designed and built for. And of course, he makes the argument that we're all built for God. We all ultimately, our hearts are meant to be led to God, to worship God, to honor God, to glorify God. Um, and this theocentric uh, vision of life. Um, and so I, I wonder if like, maybe that is where the unity that the the wonder the, the the place of beginning starts for us as we start to reimagine um, and reconstruct um, Christianity in the West and as it's more united across a, a global perspective as it has our heart been in the right place you know and I feel like I talk to a lot of evangelicals and I, I'm not so sure if and a lot of other Christians and I, I'm not always sure that we've been after the same thing um, it, it's been after subservient things it's it gets caught up in Christian nationalism. It gets caught up in, um, you know, other kind of progressive ideologies, and and some of these things are good. I, you know, like okay, yeah, sure, I get that. Like, you know, if you wanna you wanna go there, but is that your ultimate aim? Is that your ultimate goal? And 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 if it's to glorify God, and if if our goal is to to understand who God is and to bring Him glory, and th then I think that we should be reexamining what our ultimate heart loyalties are and educating and training and teaching and equipping towards that. Don't you think, I mean, shouldn't that be kind of what we should be doing in, in the context of our churches and as Christian ministers is to be exposing the heart and, and leading us to the greater telos, the, the greater purpose of, of our being. I mean, we're all weeded, right? <laughs> like we're all in the weeds. We all have our own uh, personal, personal weeds that we have chosen to chase down and get stuck in and say, this is, uh, this is my everything right here. What's right in front of me. And I appreciate your call back to, um, you are what you love from Smith because, uh, we need to unite on that, that single focus of who is God answering that question in the same way, having that common understanding with that common understanding, seeing again, what he does, and then making sure the answer to our questions of who we are and what we do are born out of that, are born out of that common understanding. Um, and so then it's not even just a call like Matt, I appreciate that. And, and again, I appreciate it because I am a pastor. So this is the lens that I'm listening through, right? Is you're talking about this. How do I lead my people to this? How do I, how do I encourage the brothers and sisters who are walking with me? to get to this end. But the fact of the matter is your questions aren't limited to pastoral leadership. They, they aren't limited uh, to those who are guiding our churches, but it's the people who are in our churches. How are we, again, that brother and sister mindset, all of us arm in arm running after the King, how are we living out our day to day towards this common telos, towards this end? How are we as engineers, as teachers, as librarians, as podcasters part-time, um, uh, how are we doing this? How are we spending our time working towards that end? Yeah. You know, I'm just, you know, musings, thinkings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as I, you know, 
think about, Matt, what you were saying, it strikes me that when we come to the place and say that we have a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview, it, it seems to me that we're missing that uh, telos um, because we begin then to form that telos in our image. Uh, we're deciding what the Christian worldview is. We're deciding what the biblical worldview is. And, preach, uh, preach. and yeah, well, I don't want to preach. I, I want to uh, dialogue, of course. But um, it, it seems to me then that it really is an exercise of uh, hubris on our part that that we are creating God in our image, and uh, and it becomes an exercise of self glorification. You know, this is what we believe, and we are right. Uh, poo poo on everyone else, and uh, we'll we'll go on our way. And so, having a as I mentioned before, having a pos- posture as a learner ourselves to, and understanding that we are sojourners on this earth, as the early church thought of herself, that we're just moving through. And as we are, we're learning and we're experiencing what God is doing, um, that that should broaden us and uh, help us to understand that, you know, Christianity and Anything that we might suggest as a worldview is really beyond what any single or even any group can get to, um, if that makes sense. Well, I think it makes sense entirely. Uh, what My mind, Michael, actually, I was tracking with you and I was kind of laughing because uh, there's the obvious truth, right? There is the... Uh, um, we lead with hubris and we need to lead with humility. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it is so funny that when we continue to encourage humility, that we have received these words from the Lord and we are going to do all we can to just follow and be obedient and encourage others to follow and be obedient on that, on that call that God has given us inevitably there is going to be somebody who's going to look around and say, you know what? All these humble people just need somebody to help guide them. And I am going to be the one to do that. And so we have leaders who then say, there seems to be too much humility in the room. Let me step forward and guide them. And then it's kind of like, oh, and this is why we're here. This is why we are where we are, because certain people have said, I'm done being humble it's now time for me to take the lead because all these people are just being too humble. And it's trying, as like you said, the hubris of saying, Jesus, thanks for leading us so far. I'm going to take it from here. Let me step in. And finally, let me tell everybody what you've been trying to tell us. They're not listening to you. They'll listen to me. They'll do what I say. And it's kind of like at the moment where we, we think we've had enough with humility is probably the moment we need that dose of humility the, the most, uh, that we don't have the answers, that we do need to be on that common ground, on our knees, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, serving others and moving forward. Uh, Matt, I'm watching you slowly nod your head here. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because I think humility is what we've always needed. And it's always whenever humility in theology, I, I'm guessing, has ever come forth, um, I mean, that, that's where the greatest um, maybe breakthroughs start to occur. That's where unity can start to, to take place. And I mean, I just think about how often we have misused scripture and claimed it as biblical and claimed it as worldview when it has oppressed other people around the world and has even been a part of um, the Crusades. Uh, witch hunts. <laughs> I mean, literal witch hunts, you know? Right. Like, because uh, you can't tell me what to do because I'm representing God. So are you telling God that he's right? Wrong? Right. Oh, gosh, I can't say that. So I guess I'm going to have to listen to you. Think about systemic racism uh, in our own country and, and claiming people as they're not full people. I, I mean, like th- this and using scripture to back it up. Do you know what I mean? Um, is we have done that to ourselves and it has been a narrowed 
um, center, you know, humanistic, self-centered vision of the scriptures that serve our own purposes. Michael, you, were, I mean, this is what you were kind of saying is like so often we just kind of miss it, and and we we fail to have that greater sense of you know humility and that ultimate end of telos and willing to pursue. And we are changing. We're living in a time in a space where we are living in this world of a greater story that God has been writing um, over human history and over all of time. And we are living in a time and a space where we have a written word that has been handed down over many millennia. Uh, we have a revealed um, God in flesh through Christ. We have a revealed and witnessing God through, whole, through the Holy Spirit um, who is with us and alive today and working. And, you know, that the story is still being told and it's being told at a macro level. And it's being told at a very micro level within each and every one of our individual lives, right? And if we, th this is where the biblical worldview idea can get so twisted so easily as if all it takes is a group of people to get together and claim their hold on the biblical worldview and realizing that there may be something in that that group's theology that is more ideological than it is uh, something that really can apply across and, and be a true gospel. I mean, this is something that I feel like I've been saying is that the gospel is good news because it's good news to every, everyone everywhere. That, that's the hallmark of the gospel is that it is good news to everyone everywhere. It crosses cultural, racial, language barriers. It is can minister to all people and save and redeem and bring about redemption and restoration to all people everywhere. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's going to accept it, right? There's always going to be those who want to reject it, but it's it can be applied to everyone everywhere without the ideological lenses um, and, and tribalism that we so often see and that we divulge into, and we try to force people into, into our own vision of what this Christianity looks like. And so, Michael, you're, you're kind of pulling us out of that, pulling us out of those weeds and kind of pulling us up and making helping us to see that maybe there's something else here. You know what I mean? Or maybe we've just been, we're, we're too narrow-minded about this and we need to kind of have the bigger, fuller picture. But I always come back to certainty. I think people are always looking for certainty. I want to be certain that when I make this decision, it's going to prove to this result, which again, is that tell us. Like, I want this to have a certain result. My life's going to be better. It's going to be more perfect. It's going to be, it's going to be fuller. It's going to be richer. It's going to be healthier, wealthier, whatever it is that you're after. People are looking for that certainty. And I think sometimes we can't always assure that with people. Have you read Ecclesiastes? I mean, like <laughs> that American mindset comes up against Ecclesiastes and I, I uh, tore that book out of my Bible. after the wind, uh, it's useless. It's vanity. Like, come on. Uh, you're going to have to set that aside. Um, I, I, I wonder, essentially, well, I don't want to make this the, the classic phrase, but where do we go from here, right? So if we're, if we're going to say, if we're going to say there is no chasing a single biblical worldview, and now we're left with, well, I seem to disagree a lot with other people how do we get back to that place of what unites us and how do i recognize when my ideology has taken over right mm. where, where do we go from here well that's a great question i think if the in the first uh the, at least my response to this in the first place is that we have to come to the place to understand that christianity and the gospel is not a worldview they definitely have views of the world, but in and of themselves, they are not worldviews. And so, it, at least in my mind, for us as Christians, at Christianity, the gospel is supra worldview, if you will. It will impact worldview and rightly impact worldview. And with that being said, I think, secondly, um, that brings us to the place to... I, I think in a rather emphatic way, say that there is something called truth and, uh, and, and we can camp on that truth. We can count on that truth. And that truth is from God. Um, we can discover it. We can uh, pursue it. And, uh, and those are good things for us to do. 
Um, and, uh, and I think that's important also for us to know as Christians and as those who are proclaiming the gospel, that there is something, there is something called truth in uh, our positions there. But, and then thirdly, as we've been saying, we need to be humble about this because uh, even Augustine uh, said that, you know, when we, when we make such declarative statements about things, yet discover later on that there might be a different response, then we really risk making ourselves out to be fools. And, uh, and so we need to approach these things with humility, understanding that as we do progress, not innovate, as we progress, then we can discover new things or different things. And oftentimes those things are discovered when we are in community with others who believe differently than we do, who have a different cultural experiences, different racial backgrounds, and so on. Um, and so we can discover a richness, but we have to do that from a posture of humility and, uh, and really desire to listen to the other and learn and, uh, and, and benefit. I mean, I've, and you guys have as well, I'm sure. I, I mean, I've just benefited tremendously in, in knowing brothers and sisters around the world that come from different cultural and ethnic experiences and uh, it, it has expanded my understanding of who God is and, and what Christianity is and expanded my understanding of the truth of the, of the gospel as genuinely good news for all people everywhere. This is what I love about studying theology and why I think the practice of learning to study theology has been so much, it's been lost. I mean, it's been relegated to the professional. It's been... Um, it feels too distant uh, for the average person and the version of it that gets handed down is so watered down, so simplified. Uh, it's talking small points enough that you can tweet even less words uh, that, you know, that you can tweet, you know, um, and, and just down, it gets down to talking points essentially, um, which is a shame because theology seeks to study the things of God and it seeks to understand the supra, as you mentioned, Michael, the supra worldview, the world as it is truth, as it is God himself revealed to us to understand the world in which we live in, um, I think is, is so powerful. And, and so often I think what gets handed by the time it gets distilled, um, from a pulpit or from a Bible study, it just, it becomes these simple visions of how to live your life better. And, and I hate to be hating on, on all this stuff, but I just think it just simply exposes this idea of like, sometimes I feel like I know nothing, right? <laughs> like sometimes I feel like I just know nothing about anything in this world. And, um, and my, my little perspective is so small and so finite that there's still so much more to learn and to grow in. And you can get defeated by that easily. But at the same time, this is what this walk is. This is what this life is, is, is this, this living day-to-day -day simple, going about your day, and yet at the same time, understanding that there is, there is a fundamental truth and a universal truth that we can actually hold to, that we can actually pursue. And the study of theology helps only expose that more and then produces a greater humility that says, there are going to be a lot of uncertain things in this world and a lot of things I'm just going to not know, but I can know at least this, that God is sovereign, that God is good, that, um, that, that there is redemption, that there is restoration on the other side of this. Um, Andrew, what are you going to say? Well, I just, everything that you're saying is so funny. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, it's talking to an optimist and talking to a pessimist. So talking to a pessimist, you just say, there isn't a limit to what we can know. The pessimist looks at it and is totally saddened because it's just kind of like, oh no, there isn't an end. Like I just give up. But the optimist looks at it and says, there is wonder and there is beauty and there is mystery. And those things capture us and encourage us and excite us because there is more. And there is there are good and wonderful things and I want to keep chasing after it. I want to keep taking it in. It's like going out into 
out into the world, staring at trees, enjoying a work of art. Like there is more beauty and wonder and things that we can know about God and appreciate about him. And there is not a point in our life where we're going to say, okay, I've reached the end. There's no more. I'm all good here. Like we, this sort of, uh, of mindset of going towards that, that big T truth, this, this truth that governs all of the world, that, that telos should be exciting. That telos should be a fire in our bones that allows us to exist in the mundane because even in the mundane, that's not all there is. Mm-hmm. Even in what I know, I haven't reached the end. Like these sort of things, again, I'm coming across very optimistically and, and passionately and happily, but I mean, there is so much beauty. Why, why, why do we fold our arms and say we finally finished it and reached the end? Mm-hmm. Let us join with each other and move forward. Let us tackle the wide breadth of our king and, and just keep enjoying him anew every day. Because there's more and more to know. There's more and more to enjoy. There's more and more. Um, so let's do it, right? Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think here too, I, I think, yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I think in many ways we've reduced theology to an academic discipline. Uh, the, the danger I think that we might face in society today or in, in, in Christianity is to swing the pendulum away from the academic uh, all the way to the contemplative, but we need both. Um, both are important here. And I, I love how Hans Urs von Balthasar uh, talks about this. He's a Catholic theologian that uh, lives in, well, he lives through the Second World War, uh, actually lives through both world wars, uh, but just develops this beautiful theology. And uh, his his writings are massive. And uh, at times, very difficult to get through. But occasionally, he has these beautiful nuggets like like this. And let me let me read to you what he says about theology. He says regarding the two faces of theology, one is contemplative, turned inward to ponder what it has seen, which needs to be beheld anew each time since it exceeds the capacity of the human eye. Yet such beholding is not enough with the result that contemplation always draws the contemplative into action. Theology's other face is turned outward in apologetics, criticism, and, where necessary, polemics. It is essentially in dialogue with all those, whether near or far, who do not understand or who misinterpret what they have understood. And so I love that description because he's getting at what you were just saying, this contemplative. Let's enjoy who God is for his beauty and, uh, and just be in awe of that. Uh, but also let's, let's be active. Let's not just let our theology stay inward. It needs to be expressed outward in, in our engagement of the world, in our engagement of each other and help each other to come to a a better and deeper, richer understanding of who God is. Thanks for doing Theology and Community with us here on the Ephesiology Podcast. We're glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology global community. Learn more about Ephesiology and get access to free missional resources for you, your church, and leadership teams at Ephesiology.com. So for Michael, Andrew, and myself on episode 100 of the Ephesiology Podcast, we'll talk again right here on episode 101 